Dear Father, thank you so much for, for everything you've given us, but mostly just thank you for the gift of your Son, without which we would be nothing. Um, we thank you so much for that. We thank you for, for your word that you've given us for times of plenty and times of scarcity and everything in between on mountains and valleys. We thank you that you're there as our rock no matter where we go. We can stand on you. Um, we thank you for this gathering of your people and how you work through us, among us, in spite of us. And Father, this morning we ask that your Holy Spirit would rest upon Pastor Luke and that you would, that your words would flow through his mouth and that, that you would open our hearts to receive them this morning, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. We've been, um, we've been digging into it, and we've been kind of talking about some of the maybe distinctive features of Mark and kind of the things that kind of pop out and some of the ways that it's kind of been a challenge to us. I think so far the two sermons that Pastor Cameron has given on these have been really, I've felt very like um, called out, not like in a singled out sort of way, but in a like, let us pursue Christ more. Let us see what does it mean to actually pursue Christ in silence and solitude in a, in a world that is so busy with distractions and things that we could be concerned about, whether that's what we got going on later today or what we've got coming in the week in front of us or what lays in the week behind us, right? Can we pause? Can we silence those things? Trust that God's got control of them long enough for us to spend some time with them. And then last week when Pastor Cameron was talking about friendship and that seeking of faith, are we willing to be the type of friend who is willing to do anything to help another friend get closer to Jesus? And I think that's a a powerful call upwards and forwards. And I think today, I think this message will be uh, equally a call to us and equally a challenge. Because ultimately, I want us to wrestle with God's word a little bit today. Because it's the Bible, right? Sometimes we kind of become complacent to these. This is probably the book that is in like if you have to, if you walk into any given house, the chances of there, that there's a Bible somewhere in that house are actually pretty high. Um, whether or not it's read is a different story. But the Bible is the most selling book in the world. So this, this book is everywhere, and because of that, we don't always read it carefully. It ends up on Bible. It ends up on like posters. Sometimes like motivational posters. Sometimes it ends up in our social media feeds with nice sunsets behind it. And because we kind of treat it that way, sometimes we kind of lose sight of some of its bigger context, and we don't always hear or listen deeply. And so today, I want us to listen to the words of Christ in a fresh tone. I'm going to read for us some words of Jesus that might at first shock you, but I don't want that to scare you because I think we can, if we spend the time and we take the moment this morning to wrestle with these words, to actually listen to what Christ is saying, we're going to come away with, I think, something really important for us to hear. And so I'm going to be reading Mark uh, chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. We normally read out of the NIV. If you don't have a personal Bible, we have Bibles in the pews in front of you. 
Um, and that's what we normally read out of. I'm going to read this one verse out of the New English translation, just because the way I think they chose to translate it brings a little bit more clarity. Um, and so I want to read this to you and, and listen carefully. This is Jesus talking, and it might shock you that Jesus said this. So he said to them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything is in parables. So that although they look, they may look but not see. And although they hear, they may hear but not understand. So they may not repent and be forgiven. What did Jesus just say? Did Jesus say, I'm speaking in parables so that people will not understand? Because if they did understand, they would repent and be forgiven. Doesn't that sound contradictory to everything that we've heard Christ say otherwise? Right? And so the question is, is what is actually Jesus saying? This comes on the heels of a pretty popular or well-known parable, the parable of a sower, right? Comes and he scatters the seeds in the different soils and they respond differently. Some are snatched up right away. Some are grow up a little bit and wither. Some grow up and grow really strong. What's And then Jesus is talking about the reason for speaking in parables. And he says, well, I'm speaking in parables so that some people might not understand. Seems to be what he's saying here. And the reason I'm starting with these words is because I want us to, I want to wake us up a little bit and realize that the parables of Jesus are not just quaint stories. They are calls to action. They aren't just sort of simple anecdotes that kind of just kind of were like, oh, isn't that cute? A farmer throwing seeds places and it does a thing. But like Jesus actually has something really important to say here. And he's demanding a call to action. He's not just like, oh, this is just not a cool parable for people to listen to and think about. This actually has something for each and every one of us who hears it, a thing to do. And so I think we need to wrestle with that. Uh, a way of saying that might be familiarity can breed complacency. And that's going to be a little bit of a theme today. Like, the more we become familiar with a thing, the less we actually see it well, right? Like, this, we just kind of tend to be people of being on sort of autopilot. Uh, if we, like, you probably drive the same way to work, like every day during the week, and you, you're, or you have your same route that you get to the grocery store. And I remember that I was, um, I switched jobs. I was working at one place, and then I started working at another place, and it was like kind of like boom, boom. The One day I drove this direction, the next day I had to drive the other way. After months of having driven one direction to work, what did I do? I got in my car, and I drove out, and I drove the old way to work. I get about halfway there, and I'm like, I'm driving to the wrong place, right? Because I was on autopilot. I was just like, I need to turn around and speed to the other direction so I'm not late, right? And we've all done that, right? We get onto autopilot, and so today, let's, not, let's kind of try and be intentional. Let's break that autopilot. Let's not just say, oh, it's the parable of the sower. We know exactly what that means. Let's wrestle with it a bit. So 
first, let's get some context. So that passage, those two verses I read for you out of Mark 4, 11 through 12, those are Jesus actually quoting an Old Testament passage. He's quoting out of Isaiah. So let's look at Isaiah, because Jesus knew the book of Isaiah. He actually quoted from it several times. And the people he was talking to knew about the book of Isaiah. So he's like quoting it, and he's using and borrowing the language to communicate an idea. So let's turn all the way back to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah's in the uh, first part of your Bible. Um, it's one of the major prophets, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty long and extensive book. But like all the prophets, last year we did a series on the minor prophets, and sometimes when we think of prophets, we think of um, we tend to think of kind of like fortune tellers, people who would know and tell the future. And while prophecy sometimes has something to do with that, oftentimes, particularly in the Bible, the prophets of God were simply concerned with calling the people to action, simply saying, like, this is the circumstance in which you are, you're under rebellion, God is calling you to repent. So here, we're going to look at Isaiah uh, chapter 5, verse 1 through 2, I have here. And this is sort of the Lord speaking. And he's painting a word picture that I think is really important that we hear here in Isaiah. So Isaiah 5, 1 says, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My, my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and he cleared out its stones, and he planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, and he cut out a winepress as well, and he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. That's a two-verse story right there. Talking about this guy who decides to plant a vineyard, a farm, does all this careful care, puts all of the things in place, and then upon planting it and harvesting it, it yields not good fruit, but bad fruit. And the rest of the passage goes on to say that this is, this is not just talking about a, an actual vineyard and plants. This is talking about God's relationship to the people that he had called out, the nation of Israel. And he said, you are my people. I have planted you in the land. I have called you to be faithful to me. Yet all I continue to bear from you is bad fruit. And with that comes ultimately the judgment that God has. And so this is, the see, this is the time in the life of Israel leading up to where God is saying, if you do not repent, ultimately I'm going to have you go into exile and be scattered from the land that you were promised. And so there's consequences for generations and generations and generations of uh, disobedience and running the opposite way. And then we come to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is a uh, famous passage. We tend to read the first part of it really well and really into detail. Isaiah, the prophet, is brought into this scene of the throne room of the Lord. And he says, woe to me, I am a people of unclean lips. And his lips are cleansed or atoned or purified through the burning coal that one of the seraphim picks up and places on his lip. And that's a really powerful imagery, but sometimes, and this comes from myself, when I was reading this and preparing for this passage, I was like, oh, 
I've not read this passage very carefully before. Because what does it that God then says for Isaiah to go and say? Isaiah is being commissioned as a prophet. And what is the message that God is giving him to say? And as we read it, that should sound a lot like what we just read in the verse, Mark. So I'm going to start to read in verse 8 of chapter 6 here. Then I heard a voice, this is Isaiah saying, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people. This is what he's supposed to go and tell. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, and their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, we might see, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Sound a lot like that passage from Mark. So what is this passage saying? What is it kind of getting at? Why in the world would God tell the prophet to go and say, I want you to go and talk and talk and teach this message so that they eventually just don't hear you anymore, and that they don't repent. What's going on? What is the dynamic that is being talked about here? And this is a really difficult thing to get, but I think if we we back up and we kind of think about maybe a practical example, let's stick with the sense of hearing. Guys, if you've ever been to a loud concert, right, you get into a really loud concert, and you're like, wow, that's really loud. You're at like a rock concert or whatever. And some of you, that's probably been a while. Um, but you're at a concert and you're like, this is really loud. But eventually what happens? Your, your ears, you kind of adjust to the volume level. And eventually it's not as loud. And that's partly because you're losing your hearing a little bit. Um, but like after a moment, what was eventually really loud kind of settles down like, okay, I can handle that. Or if you've ever, when you've woken up in the morning or in the middle of the night and you got to go to the bathroom and you like flip on the hallway light or the bathroom light and you're like, ah, right? Like that's so bright. Like I'm, I'm like, a, I'm the worst at this. Um, like I, I'm so sensitive to light. It's a total. Anyways, um, I'm very sensitive to light. So like in the mornings or at night, I'm just like, ah, <laughs> like, mm, you know, I'm having this whole like, very visceral reaction to it. I'm not, you think I'm over-exaggerating doing this. I'm not. Um, That's actually how I respond. But, um, and so we have that response, but then eventually our eyes adjust, right? Eventually it's no longer as bright as it was. And so the way that I can kind of um, summarize what I think is happening in this passage is to say this, The choice to ignore a warning is a choice to become numb to future warnings, right? This is not, Isaiah is not the first prophet, nor is he even the last prophet that's going to come with this message to the people of Israel. And God, like the rest of the book of the Bible or of the Old Testament, is primarily God saying the same message to the people over and over again, saying, Repent, turn to me, stop worshiping gods that are not me, stop oppressing the poor, stop serving yourself, 
He's continually calling them to be his people, to be who he has called and created them to be, but they are continually choosing to run their own direction. And they are ignoring those warnings. And every time they ignore that warning, the next time they hear it, it's just a little bit quieter. The next time they're exposed to the truth of that light, it's a little bit dimmer. And as that happens, their ears become dull, their hearts become hardened, their minds become cloudy, and they cease to understand and they cease to repent. The best way I know how to say this is actually a fairly old saying. This is from a stream of Christianity called Puritanism. The Puritans would say this. They would say that the same sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. So God is giving this message of repentance, turn to me. And depending on who is receiving that message, some will say, oh, I better repent. The Lord is calling me to repent. They soften, they melt, they respond. But then others who hear that message similarly have the complete opposite response to it. They begin to become stubborn. They begin to plant their feet and they become hardened to that message has less to do with God's intended intent, and it has more to do with the response of those who are listening. And just to show that God absolutely is not giving up on his people, if you, it can be hard sometimes to read the Old Testament because so much of it is God calling his people to repentance and them choosing not to, and then there being consequences for that. But God never, ever gives up. If we go forward in the chapter to the very end, because Isaiah says, like, how long am I going to have to say that message? I don't want to say that message very long. And then the Lord ends with this glimmer of hope in verse 12 through 13. It says, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, so the exile that will come, and through a tenth, though a tenth remains in the land, it will be again laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. The thing about trees is that if you leave the stump, sometimes shoots will continue to come back up out of that stump. And so here, Lord is saying, like, I might be chopping down the tree, but I'm not getting rid of the stump. And it will be the seed in the land in the future. And so Lord never gives up on his people. So if that's the message that is kind of coming out of the book of Isaiah, why is Jesus quoting that passage in Mark? Why did Jesus decide to quote this passage? What's it got for us, what is Jesus applying it to? So let's turn back to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4 is where we were. And then let's read now the parable of the sower. Parable we've maybe heard before. And let's see what kind of context we can bring from the passage in Isaiah, the imagery, the things that were talked about, and how can that bring us greater understanding of what Jesus is teaching here in Mark chapter 4. So, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. Interesting fact, 
teaching by the lake is like, if he was teaching, one of the reasons you would want to teach by a lake, or sometimes Jesus is recorded as being on a boat, slightly out onto the lake, speaking to the people, is not because he was like afraid to be close to them or something like that, is that if you've ever been around a lake, that large surface of water is very reflective to your voice and can act as a natural amplification to public speaking in the ancient world. So Jesus is speaking by this lake, and the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat out on the lake while all the people were along the shore and at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching, he said, so this is one of the parables that he said, listen, that's an important word, listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But then the sun came up and the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and it grew and produced crop some multiplying 30, some 60, some a 100 times. Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Right? Notice that how Jesus begins and ends that parable. He begins with saying, listen, pay attention. And then he ends with saying, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. He begins with this call and it ends with this call and invitation. Understand. Seek greater understanding. Don't just hear. Listen. Ears to hear. He's making an invitation. What we see here is we see this imagery of, again, plants. Aren't we just talking about plants and vineyards in Isaiah? about the vineyard that was sown and planted but did, didn't reap good fruit. And we were talking about the stump and that being a seed. Right? So we've got some similar imagery going across the two passages. We have the sower who apparently doesn't have too much discrimination when he throws out his seeds. He kind of spreads it wide. He's sowing it to everyone and all people. He's not saying, I know this is good soil. I'm going to plant it here. He's kind of tossing it out, saying, I'm not going to judge ahead of time where the good soil is. I'm going to toss it everywhere, and where the good soil is is where it will bear fruit. He's kind of trusting the soil with the word, but he's giving everybody that same word, seed. And so then what happens after that? So Jesus kind of gave this parable, and then we have the part that we started with. All right, so let's go back. Let's look at that context again. And I think there's something important to point out here. So we're going to pick up in verse 10. It says, when he was alone, so Jesus, so Jesus is no longer necessarily in front of the crowd. So this is maybe a different time um, or maybe just afterwards. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked about the parable. So 
Who's in this picture? We have Jesus, we have the disciples, and then we have other people who heard the teaching and wanted to know more. They were like, I've heard this, I don't get it. I want to know, I want to understand. And so he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And so Jesus here is saying, like, you who are coming and asking are seeking to listen and to hear. Right? There's this kind of, we're beginning to see that there's a different layer to this parable. That the parable itself is actually being played out in front of us. If we were to read the very next verse, this verse is important to understanding the whole thing. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The parable about the sower and the seed is a parable about people's responses to parables. It's a parable about people's responses to the word. And God is, Jesus is giving the word through the parable. He's saying, I am scattering the seed. I am saying the message far and wide so that Everybody will hear it, but the choice is, will you respond to it? Will you actually listen? Will you seek greater understanding? Like you, the ones he's talking to right there at that moment, came and asked, came and sought me out, wanted to actually hear, wanted to actually understand. Jesus is, again, operating by the same principle that God was operating by in Isaiah. Speak the message loud over and over again, and wide, so that all will hear, the question is, what will you do when you hear? Will you respond? Will you melt? Will you be conformed to what God is calling you and teaching you to? Or will you harden yourself? Will you, will you tense up? Will you say, nope, my will, not God's? And so Jesus here is saying the same thing. He's like, I speak in parables so that the seed, the word goes out, but those who truly want to know will come and seek and find out. Depending on what translation you have, um, in verse 11, he says, Jesus says, the secret of the kingdom of God. Some translations, older translations, sometimes use the word mystery. And that's not necessarily a wrong word, but in our mind, we think of mystery, I think of Scooby-Doo. Or... Sherlock Holmes, something like that, right? It's, it's a circumstance, and you're like, huh, I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense. Or like, Sherlock Holmes is probably the better example from Scooby-Doo. You always know who's underneath the cloak in Scooby-Doo. But um, the, the mystery in Sherlock Holmes, right? Like, if you've ever read a Sherlock Holmes mystery, and you're just like, how did he figure that out, right? Like, he just, he's just like, oh, he put all these things together, right? And so when it's, if your translation says mystery, we might say, oh, Jesus is being like intentionally obscure and like you have to have some sort of special knowledge to understand it. And that's why I, I don't think that's the best word in our modern English to capture what Jesus is saying. I think the translation of secret is better because Jesus is, a secret is meant to be told, right? And Jesus is saying like, come and ask, and I will give you the secret. Jesus, once these people come and ask him, what did that parable mean? 
He doesn't say, well, can you figure it out? Like, he doesn't, like, sit there and, like, try and make them guess. He's like, all right, I'm going to give you the secret. You asked, right? Jesus is not withholding anyone or anything from anyone who seeks him. He's saying, just seek me, right? Don't just be part of the crowd. Seek me, and I will give you the secret of the kingdom. And so... Then we come into Jesus' explanation, right? Jesus then explains the parable in greater detail, going on in verse 14. It says, The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. Still, others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, produce crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. So Jesus makes this very clear. He's like, this is a parable about parables, about how people respond to it. Some people hear the word, the invitation of Jesus, and they're left, and it just is snatched up right away. Some begin to respond with joy, but eventually it kind of withers because it's without root. Some, it grows up strong, but then the concerns and the other desires of this world kind of suffocate it and take its oxygen away. But then those who are here to listen, to understand, those who will seek, those who I will freely give the secret of the kingdom of God, they will produce fruit 30, 60, 100 of what is given. We can see this. I don't have this on the screen, but if you're following along in your Bible, we can see the very next passage begins to amplify this theme more and more. He goes on with another one of the parables that he said to the crowd. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, you put it on a stand for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And then he continues on in verse 24. You consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Jesus is saying what you hear, and then what you do with it, whatever you do with it, that then depends upon what you will receive afterwards. But if you hear, and you don't do anything with it, it will be taken away from you. Jesus is saying, I'm sowing my message, I'm calling you to come and know me, to have relationship, to have redemption and new life for me. I'm calling you out of a way of living that is according to your own wisdom and the wisdom of the world and others around you and saying, I want you to follow the plan 
and the way that I have laid out for you to live. And if you do that, I will continue to give you more and more guidance, more and more stewardship, and you will grow and flourish and produce much, much fruit. But if you hear my message and you just sit with it, you don't do anything with it, it's going to be snatched away. It's not going to bear fruit. You need to come and seek, come and know who I am, right? In this parable about parables, as it's being played out for us, we have this big crowd that Jesus tells this parable to. And then out of that, there are those who hear it. Oh, it's an interesting story. I wonder what Jesus meant about that. And then they go on. The seed is snatched up right away before it even takes fruit. But then there are those who come to Jesus and say, like, no, 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 we need to know what that meant. We know it's not just enough for us to listen. We need to understand. And then among those, what then are they going to do once they have understanding? Is the word going to take deeper root or is it going to be choked out? Is it going to be blown away or will it begin to bear greater and greater fruit? And so let's take just a few moments and I have a couple of um, couple of just reflections to kind of bring the whole passage together. And that's first is to say is that we are more the soils than we are the farmer. Sometimes when we hear this passage, right, we can particularly, I've heard this passage preached several times, and one of the, often the main takeaways, the ways that we're encouraged to think about this passage is to say, oh, well, like, you should go out and evangelize and you should share and you should so widely, you should go and evangelize as much as possible. Now, I'm not up here saying don't go evangelize. Not saying don't share the word, don't share your faith with people. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that this passage is in context, we are the soil more than we are the farmer. We're meant to understand ourselves and be asking ourselves, not how do I become like the farmer? The question is, is how do I become like the good soil? How do I become like the one who seeks the Lord and takes what is given to me and then bears fruit bountifully from it. How do I receive that? How do I pursue Jesus? The sowing of the message of Jesus far and wide is both an invitation that, if ignored, turns into judgment. Right? This is back to that very first concept we talked about earlier. Right? Familiarity breeds complacency. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The message of Jesus is always and absolutely, completely an invitation. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come to, you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I shall give you rest, for my burden is light. Come and drink and taste the true bread and the true water of life. Those who drink will never thirst again, and those who eat will never go hungry again. Christ is the answer. Christ is the one who satisfies. He is the one who we are all longing for. Our hearts are restless until it finds rest in him. He is Christ. He is our Redeemer. He's our Savior. In him, we find redemption and reorientation. All of the mess and brokenness of our lives 
was taken by the Lamb of the world who came to take away our sins. Christ bore whatever it is that we hide, that we feel shameful over, that we feel guilt over, the things that we experience in brokenness, the things that were done to us, the things we've done to others, the ways that we've not honored other people, we've not honored God or kept his commandments, all of that was placed on the shoulders of Christ on the cross. And all of it was dealt mercifully there. And it was taken with Christ, put into the grave, and then left behind three days later. And by our own faith, by saying, Christ, I desire to be in you, I desire to follow you, I am no longer me, but I am in you, that becomes the story for us. A few weeks ago, we did baptism, which is a visible sign of us being united to the story of Christ. Why do we put people in water, shove them underwater, and pull them back out? Because that's the image of Christ being put on the cross, dying to sin, and leaving it behind and coming out new, cleansed, and refreshed as a firstborn and new creation. And so we too, by faith, become united to that story of Christ. We go into the grave and we come out with newness of life. And that's the story that we're invited to participate in and that Christ calls us forward into. But if we hear that and we don't do anything about it, if we just sit with it, if we just become complacent with that message, if we begin to let the persecutions of the world, the world not standing for the way that we're called to live, or perhaps just simply the concerns of day-to-day life, the stress that we have going on, and we say, you know what, Jesus, like, it's great, you're great, God's cool, but, like, I got some stuff I got to take care of, right? I got some things I got to worry about. I'm just going to focus on that for a bit. Leave this Jesus stuff to the side for when I have more time. Are we not letting the word be choked out of us every time we choose to maybe run to our phones or to social media rather than run to the word or to prayer? Right? When we begin to say, oh, I need to do things on my own life rather than, or on my own strength, rather than seeking how can I understand the Lord's strength greater and deeper now? rather than just saying, I need to try harder. How can the Lord and his spirit supply strength to me? And so what do we do, right? We need to respond because we don't respond to the invitation. It becomes ultimately judgment on us. I think of, um, I think of a couple things, but one is like kind of that... Um, you know, I've, I've seen enough parents tell their kids, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. Put that down. You're going to hurt yourself. And then, like, minutes later, there's a crash. Right? Like, what did you do? You did what I told you not to. Right? The invitation, the calling out to respond, if left, left unlistened to, becomes judgment or a consequence. And so the question then that we all are asked, right? Because again, what did I say? The parables are not just neat stories with symbols and imagery. They're calls to action. 
the call to action each and every one of us are left with today is the question, will we seek Jesus or will we be content having heard but not understanding? Will we seek Jesus or will we be content having heard but not understanding? Will we listen to the invitation of Jesus to come up and further in? Or will we, will we say, Jesus, you know what? Right here is good, far enough for me. I'm like far enough on this following you train. I think I've followed you thus far, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here. I'm just going to rest. Take it easy. Check out my surroundings here. Can I just stay here? That's not what Christ is calling us to. Christ is saying, no, the more you respond to me, the more you seek me, the more you will be given. That's a promise that Christ freely and longs to give, but he's not going to drag us kicking and screaming. So, is that the word of your, our Lord Jesus Christ would take firm root into your hearts, that it would begin to bear uh, fruit in your life, fruit in your family, and fruit as we go out to love our neighbors and our community. Conduit, know that you are loved with an unending, unfathomable love of God. Go in peace.